Do you fall into habits as far as patterns in prayer? I know I do. I find myself saying the same things over and over again sometimes. Uh, for a long time, I, I would pray this. And I felt really good about it. I would, and sometimes I'd be praying right here in the sanctuary, be early in the morning, or, and I'd be walking the aisles in the dark, and I would pray that, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And, and, and it is a, I mean, that sounds powerful. I, I, I think it's a, I really felt spiritual when I prayed that, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And, and that was a recurring prayer for me. And then one day I was reading my Bible. And I come across Philippians 3, verse 10. And, and I realized that there's, there's more to that verse. It says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Being made conformable unto his death. For me to experience Paul's path to Christian power, I need to experience all of Philippians 3.10. I cannot just know God. I cannot just know the power of his resurrection. I must also know the fellowship of his suffering. And I must also be made conformable unto his death. It's the power of of suffering. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today through the final part of this series. That you might take us from where we are to where you desire us to be. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. In part one of the series, in the discourse of the vineyard, on the vineyard of, of John chapter 15, we learned some things. We learned that that God is the husbandman. So, so you picture a vineyard, you picture a, uh, you know, a, a big garden, and there's a husbandman. There's, a, there's someone that's in charge of the vineyard. And that's God. John 15. John 15, we learn that Jesus is the vine. Jesus is the, the lifeblood of the vineyard. Everything that lives and grows and produces in the vineyard is connected to the vine. We learned in John 15 that, that we are the branches. And we learned that in order for us to bear fruit, we must abide in the vine. We must be connected to Jesus. We also learned the husbandman, God, cuts off and discards the branches that don't produce. And we also learned that the husbandman, God, prunes the branches that do produce. Why? Because for the husbandman, it's all about the harvest. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. That's the ultimate prayer, isn't it? Whatever it takes. That's the most faith 
filled prayer that you can pray. And I believe that it's a prayer that gets answers. Your son or your daughter is in desperate straits. They're lost. They're into all kinds of harmful addictions and behaviors and habits. And up to this point, we've been praying for their comfort and for their deliverance and for their salvation. But every prayer we pray is tempered with our concern for their well-being in this life. And then one day, we let go. One day, we turn them over to God and we say, Oh God, whatever it takes. For the husbandman, the harvest is all that matters. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to bring in the harvest. Whatever it takes to bring in souls. Whatever it takes to reach the lost. Whatever it takes to win people. He'll cut off the useless branches. He'll prune the productive branches. Why? Because it's all about the harvest. Period. Whatever it takes. God allows suffering because it it benefits the church. God allows suffering because it grows the church. God allows pruning and pain because it can enhance the harvest. And the harvest is all that matters. Whatever it takes. So this morning, let me, let me give you five ways suffering can benefit the church. Five ways suffering benefits the church. Number one, suffering identifies us with Christ. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, hear me now, Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Christ suffered on this earth. It only stands to reason that as followers of Christ, we will also suffer. It's what it means to be identified with Him. Galatians 2, verse 20 says, I'm crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified with Christ. When I suffer, I identify with Christ. Number two, and again we're talking about five ways suffering can benefit the church. Number one is it identifies me with Christ. Number two, suffering has a unifying effect. Romans 12 says, says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient 
in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. You know, if, if the Russians were attacking, or the aliens were preparing for our annihilation, we would circle the wagons, and it wouldn't matter if we were fighting beside a Democrat or a Republican, conservative or a liberal, a lefty or a righty, all of that would fade away in the fire and the trial of adversity. Suffering establishes common ground. Suffering has a way of bringing us together. 1 Corinthians 9 and 10, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, called into the, the fellowship. That's a very important word for the rest of the sermon. Now I beseech you, verse 10 says, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, again, we're talking about how suffering has a unifying effect. I beseech you by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing. Unity. And that there be no divisions among you. Unity. And that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and of the same judgment. Unity. Verse 9 says we're called into the fellowship of Christ. That means the, the whole package. You can't just pick and choose in the relationship. That doesn't work in marriage. I, I want this part of the relationship, but not that part. It doesn't work in a friendship. And yet that's what we try to do with God. I want the Savior part, but not the Lord part. I want all the benefits of Christianity. Are you with me, church? Sign me up for the heaven thing, for sure. I want my sins forgiven, and I'll take divine healing. But I'm not willing to sacrifice or endure any adversity. I'm certainly not willing to be persecuted for the cause of Christ. I, I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection. But count me out when it comes to the fellowship of His sufferings. And I do not want to be made conformable unto his death. Verse 9 says we're called into the, the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Fellowship is the, the Greek word uh, koinonias, which, which means companion or to have friendship with. Verse 10 tells us why it's important that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind. We're all, we're, we're all abiding in the vine, identifying with Christ and suffering for the cause. And nothing draws people together like suffering. It's true in the sports world. Teams endure injuries to key players and they, they pull together as a cohesive unit and overcome all the odds and it, it becomes an us-against-the-world mentality. As a result, the whole plays better than the sum of its parts because they have a, a rich fellowship fueled by adversity in the midst of a common cause worth fighting for, suffering, has 
a unifying effect. A natural disaster pulls the community together. Neighbors helping neighbors and standing together. We'll rebuild. Been flooded out the last 10 years. We'll rebuild. Might want to move a little. Family trials can have a, a unifying effect. I know my, my brother Mike and I became close as we dealt with the challenges of our aging mom. The fellowship of our suffering strengthened the bond between us. Suffering has a unifying effect. Number three, of our five ways that suffering can benefit the church, number three, suffering chisels away the flesh. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 3, says, And not so only, but we glory in tribulations. I, I don't know that I, I get that on the surface. It says, we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience works experience, and experience works hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Suffering provides the resistance necessary for us to get stronger. Just like lifting weights provides resistance and enables us to build muscle. God allows suffering because he's more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. Whatever it takes. God is willing to allow adversity if it can make you better. Whom the Lord loves, the Bible says, He chastens. He prunes the branches that bear fruit. Why? Because they'll become even more productive. For, and for the husbandman, it's all about the harvest. In the same way, God allows suffering so your flesh will be crucified and you will become more productive for the kingdom. It's all about the harvest. Suffering like pruning chisels away the unproductive flesh. Number four, suffering reminds us of what's important. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. Suffering has a way of reducing us, doesn't it? Suffering has a way of reducing us. It, it's hard to be broken when everything is going your way. Suffering can peel back the layers and, and moves us from the temporal to the spiritual realm. The death of someone close does that. Uh, just a funeral does, does that. It reminds us of what really matters. And when it's all said and done, all that matters is that you experience Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Whatever it takes. For Paul, it took a blinding light from heaven to get his attention. He was knocked from his horse, blinded for three days. His world turned upside down. Plans turned inside out. Suffering teaches us what's really important. Number five. 
Suffering purifies the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. I love the first part of this verse, but it's really not where I'm going, but I still love this part. It says, but we, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We're troubled on every side, verse 8 says, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus. Always bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. That the life also of Jesus might be revealed in our body. Suffering either drives you to Christ or it drives you from Christ. Persecution, church, hear me now. If you only hear one thing in the sermon, hear this next part. Persecution will filter out all the pretenders and all the posers who talk a good game but have no heart. And we may well be on the cusp of this. Several of my sermons could fall into the category of hate speech in the eyes of some. They aren't hate speech, but they could be looked at that way from certain factions. And the, and the possibility of a reaction from certain factions of our community increases as the days go by. If we get that reaction, where will you be? If protesters are marching in front of the church on Sunday morning, because of some controversial stand that we have on an issue, would you push your way through the protesters to come to church? Some, some will use their kids as an excuse. Or personal safety. Or we just didn't want to offend anyone. There's, there's always a means of justification. But when you need them, they're too stuck in their own little world to stand with you. It's like the people who are against abortion, but vote for a candidate who's in favor of abortion because they need the benefits that candidate will provide. I've had more than one person say that to me over the years, and it makes me sick. Amen. Their convictions do not run deep enough to stand for anything. Suffering purifies the church. Colossians 1.24 says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. This is Paul writing. Again, counterculture, counterintuitive. <clears throat> counter I, I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind or lacking of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh.
fill up that which is lacking of the afflictions of Christ, Paul says, in my flesh for his body's sake. And in case it, there's any confusion, it says, which is the church. We're all called to fellow, into fellowship with Christ. Yes, it includes his power. And yes, it includes all the benefits of loving and knowing and serving Jesus. But it also includes the fellowship of his sufferings. We suffer for the body of Christ. Colossians 1.24 says it clearly. Filling up my flesh with the afflictions of Christ for his body's sake, which is the church. That was Paul's path to Christian power. Five ways suffering can benefit the church. Number one, it, it, it identifies us with Christ. Number two, suffering has a, a unifying effect. Number three, suffering chisels away the unproductive flesh. Number four, suffering reminds us of what's really important. And number five, suffering purifies the church. But most are unwilling to endure for the sake of Christ. Our level of sacrifice is limited for sure. If we lose the charitable giving tax deduction, would you still give? If the temperature falls below zero, <laughs> will you still attend? Costs a lot to provide a Christian education for your children. Are you willing to pay? You recently received your giving receipt in the mail. What was your level of sacrifice? Not how much did you give. What was your level of sacrifice? How about serving? How much skin do you have in the game? Are you an observer or are you really invested? And I, I know all too well that it's not all about Central Assembly. But if you call Central Assembly your church home, then this is the local manifestation of the body of Christ for you. Have you suffered for it? Do you invite people? Do you serve? Do you help? Do you give? Do you pray? Do you connect? Do you care? How much skin do you have in the game? And if the persecution intensifies, will you still be invested? That I may know the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Is Jesus worth it? Is the body of Christ worth it? That's what you have to decide. 1 Peter 4.13, again, counterintuitive, rejoice in so much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. Rejoice! You're part of Christ's suffering. That when his glory shall be revealed, that you may be glad with exceeding joy. Here's what I know for sure. From the perspective of heaven, 
We will never regret suffering for the church. When it's all said and done, we will be glad that we stood for the cause of Christ. Ultimately, His cause is the only cause that will endure to the end. But we have to fellowship with Him in suffering. That word koinonia is that Greek word for fellowship. The word appears 19 times in the New Testament. It's translated fellowship 12 times, sharing three times, participation twice, and contribution twice. It refers in some contexts to a jointly contributed gift. Fellowship, koinonia, is like going in together on a gift. Fellowship is a word that ties us together. Fellowship is a concept that keeps us close, establishes common ground, and builds intimacy. The fellowship of suffering knits us together like nothing else can. It's like a marriage where you endure adversity and undergo trial and somehow you, you hang on and you build a history together like that, that threefold cord that's not easily broken. You, your spouse, and Christ, the fellowship of suffering. Paul endured suffering. He was imprisoned. He was flogged severely five times. It says in the Bible that he received 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was shipwrecked three times. He spent a day and a night in the open sea. He was stoned. He literally lived out of his suitcase. He was in constant danger from bandits. He was in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea. The Jews were after him, the Gentiles too. He suffered from hunger and from thirst. There were times he was cold and times he was naked. It was Paul's path to Christian power. He suffered daily in his concern for the churches he planted, the people that he had mentored, and the cause he once hated and was now willing to suffer for. And yet, yet, in spite of all of that, Paul could say, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will one day be revealed in us. The fellowship of his sufferings. Does everyone suffer? 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you take a stand for Christ, I promise you this, you will suffer. If you choose to blend in with the world, not so much. But know this, suffering for Jesus was part of Paul's path to Christian power. He could never get there without it. That I might know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. I'm going to ask the Connect Group leaders to come and find their place in front 
And then uh, the worship team is going to play, and I'm just going to open it up to you for prayer. You can come and you can be prayed for in your physical, something to do with your physical body. Maybe it's direction. Maybe it's something to do with this sermon, a relationship, whatever it might be. But you need prayer. Come, make your way to the front. Let these folks that will be leading our next round of Connect Groups, let them pray for you. But don't leave this place if you feel like God is leading you to the front. Leading you. And just if, if you want to just come and be prayed for, I need, I need more of Jesus. I need to know, I need to understand what it means to fellowship in Christ's sufferings. These folks would be willing to pray with you. Father, I pray for these, this round of Connect Group leaders. Lord, I pray that you would anoint them and bless them. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would flow through them. Lord, not that it would be about them, but that it would be about you. They would be the willing vessels used by you in this instance to touch broken lives, to encourage those that need encouragement, to prune those who are already productive for you, because in the end, it's all about the harvest, whatever it takes. We surrender to you in Jesus' name. Are you hurting?